there, space fans, and welcome to another episode of the Supercluster Podcast. This is Robin, Chief of Content Supercluster. I'm here with our Chief Creative Officer, Jamie Carrero. We have a very special guest today, Chris Esposito, who has recently gotten into the space communication game on his own. And uh, we at Supercluster really love his style. We're loving what he's doing, and uh, we really wanted to have him on the show today. So I'll throw it over to Jamie, who's going to give us a quick rundown on what we're talking about today, and uh, we'll get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome, Chris. Good to have you here. How you guys doing? Jamie, Robin, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. How are you doing today? We're great, doing man. great. There's so much in the space news going on lately. I think maybe the biggest stories that we might want to dive into is the UFO release that's upcoming, and also the fact that Jeff Bezos plans to fly to space about a month from now. But before we get to the news, Chris, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into this. How did you end up making your podcast, uh, Space with Spo, and you know, becoming so interested in space? Yeah, so I guess where should I start? So I've always been a massive space fan, right? So, you know, I grew up, I I loved the movie Armageddon back in the day. And, you know, as I was going through grade school, I actually had a lot of like anxiety about an asteroid hitting us, right? So (laughs) I grew up, I was always curious about space. I was always had like a lot of anxiety about space as well. And let's fast forward to after college here, right? So I never necessarily knew what I wanted to do in life. You know, I always knew that I was good at talking to people. I was really good at making friends. So I decided to go into sales. Uh, I tried that for about five to six years and I still never found, you know, that one thing that I was really good at and that I was really passionate about. So fast forward to when the pandemic hit, I was pretty bored, right? (laughs) Before this, I was, you know, out at the bars 24 seven, you know, I was visiting friends in different parts of the country. And I never necessarily had like that one thing that really made me excited to wake up every day. So I originally started sending out space content to a trial group of friends on Snapchat. And what happened was all this space information that I was consuming on a daily basis, I started sending to my friends with a comedic twist to try to get them interested in the same subjects that I was interested in. Your personal friends. These are your personal friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my friends groups on Snapchat, I sent out a couple of videos with some, you know, funny captions about some space news. And the reaction that I got was so positive and the feedback was so incredible. I immediately launched the brand Space with Spo. So my last name is Esposito, Mm -hmm. uh, Spo for short. And Spo is this character that I created over the years who's this fun, energetic football player who is the most unlikely science and space nerd you've ever seen. (laughs) I love it. So that's where the twist comes in. So over the past year, I've tried a lot of things. You know, it originally started out as a blog. And then I found out that, you know, being on camera is more of my strength, right? I'm able to use my my energy. I'm able to be, you know, I'm able to show people through, you know, visual aspects on my on my YouTube channel. So over the course of the last year, I've pretty much just created this space online where people can come to my account, learn about space and have fun doing it in a way that I've never previously found before online. And that was really important to me. So basically I created the channel that I wanted to watch. Right. And I have to say, I think you've succeeded. I'm one of your followers and on Instagram, and I see the reaction to each of your videos. Each of your videos has at least a dozen comments on them from different Mm -hmm. people sort of acknowledging that they learned something from you, which Mm -hmm. is really, really important. When I first talked to Chris uh, a couple of days ago, he got on the phone with me. 
you immediately reminded me of someone that I grew up with or some like my neighbor because I'm from the same area as uh, Chris. Chris, you're from uh, Westchester, New York, right? That's right. Yep. I met Chris through another New Yorker friend named Brandon, who's been on the show. We realized that Chris, is, your account has been following the Supercluster account for quite a while. So we've already been connected. And we do share, I feel like when it comes to the language of space exploration, it's very boxy, very flat sometimes, very, you know, plain old Jane sometimes when you're trying to learn. I think Chris has found a flavor that we haven't seen before. And I think the humorous touch is really unique. So bravo to you, Chris, for Thank you. even attempting to do something. It seems like a really good fit to me, this character of, you know, the the football fan, you know, beer drinking kind of guy who's just hanging right. out, who also mm-hmm. loves rockets. It makes sense because like space rockets have more horsepower than any big truck will ever have. And, you know, and <laughs> yeah. We're dealing with temperatures hotter than any barbecue you could stir up, you know, like you're just going on and on about you know, the toughness of test pilots and the physical training to be an astronaut, it's pretty in line with the type of things that, you know, a typical macho guy might like. Totally. And I think think with the same energy, you can crack a beer and watch a football game and and watch a rocket launch. Oh, yeah. You you know what I mean? Uh, And and it's fun. (laughs) That's not isolated to the males of the world but oh yeah of course not but <laughs> it it's is, a way in you know yeah, we yeah, talk yeah. a lot at supercluster about ways to address audiences that maybe are not interested in space right. and obviously you don't create a character like this to convince a space nerd to like space because right. not only do Absolutely. they already like it yeah. but it's yeah. not the way you speak to that person you know so i think it's a great way to to bring people in who maybe haven't opened that book, but once they do, will become fans. Once they start looking at it, they'll become fans. Yeah. Our, our fans are, and, and the people who listen to this podcast are always encouraged to be distracted and check out whatever we're talking about. So real quick, Chris, tell folks how to go to your Instagram page or YouTube page real quick. Oh, it's too easy. Space with Spo at Space with Spo, um, the Space with Spo show on Spotify and Apple. Yeah, you can find me everywhere on TikTok too. Great. Okay, so now people are doing that. And, yeah, um, we'll that. remind them at the end, but we'll we like, them, them, to, yes. we like Robin, them to be doing it while they're listening so they get Chris, distracted. It's I, I got a lot of questions for you. One is going to be about <laughs> Armageddon. But the first question is you brought up something really interesting and something we've rarely talked about on this show. And when we talk about space fandom, we never talk about the anxieties associated with being interested in space and knowing space. So you brought up asteroids, uh, Chris. When you're a fan of space exploration, you're let in on a little secret. And that secret is that we could all die from an asteroid impact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. um, That if one were to appear, we would likely not find out that it was here until a relatively short amount of time. And even if we had advance notice, we don't have a plan. We don't have the technology. (laughs) Now, this brings me to Armageddon. So... I'm one of the few people in the space industry. Now I have Chris who do love that movie. <laughs> and, oh, um, yeah. love it's, it pulls love. on the right. It's so fun. It has it's some really great scenes. Fun, yeah. It's such a fun movie. And, you know, in its own weird way, it does raise awareness about asteroid defense and it does <laughs> raise awareness about NASA and it oh, does raise super pro NASA. Yeah. I mean, it essentially tells the story of like, we're NASA. We're, we're the NASA. people you can call when we no one else can help, you know, like we yeah. are the ultimate saviors. Yeah, it's great. And I always say, I think Robin, we were talking about this on a podcast the other day. 
Michael Bay is a great director He's with an really, director. really yeah. bad taste. That's all it is, you know? So he'll direct the yeah. heck out yeah. of something. And when it happens upon a subject matter that we all love, of course, it's going to be gonna a great hit. show. Yeah. 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 I love Transformers 1, by the way. And I, and I love the Transformers films because of the space mythology. There's lots of space mythology in that franchise. And I Actually, do like yeah. a couple of the early movies. I, I did like the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. And I do love what those movies do for kids and inspiring space knowledge in its own little way. You know what I mean? Actually, I think yeah. Getting, so you, you know, I had forgotten, Robin. You just reminded me that in one of the later films, and do not ask me to name the titles of the Transformers films, but one of the later ones had a really cool alternate history scene. Right. Where it was Buzz like... Aldrin. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And the whole yeah. idea was one of the later Apollo missions was a lie to the whole world. But the real reason was they had to go to the other side of the moon to like find a transformer. And it was right. a really <laughs> great movie making. Anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Buzz Aldrin made a cameo in the movie at the Air and Space Museum where one of the tra transformers was secretly hiding, which is a really cool. Ah. But getting back to Armageddon, Chris, NASA loves that movie, but they'll never say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> when you go to Johnson Space Center, there's a poster of the one sheet for Armageddon with Bruce Willis and Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck's face on it, right in a prominent area in at Johnson Space Center. And at Kennedy Space Center, I don't know if I pointed it out to Jamie last time we were there, but there's a glass case with a gold statue. It was a, an award, some award that Armageddon won that was allowed to be displayed at Kennedy Space Center. Yeah, I mean, the oh movie was made with tremendous cooperation from NASA. If you, right. you know, go back and watch with that in mind, you can see all kinds of classic NASA locations are being used. So, Chris, was this movie not responsible, but was it one of the things that sort of kept you interested in space? And, you know, you mentioned that anxiety about asteroids, which I think... <laughs> yeah, definitely the anxiety. You know, yeah. it was actually... It's actually the opposite. It was the beginning. It was the start of my journey, right? Like, I remember being in my grandma's house when I was, like, seven years old with this big Armageddon poster there. And then I feel like I didn't really connect to the movie until I got into, like, middle school and high school, where I was like, wait, 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 what is this movie about? Like, right, right. what's asteroid? it really what about? Talking about? Right. And then, like, you know, then Google comes out, and then I'm, like, Googling asteroids. I'm like, wait a second. We're living in a shooting gallery? What are you talking about here, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, that definitely started it. And then the anxiety from space started when I, you know, learned like what was going on up there. Right. And I learned just like how, you know, not a lot of space is discovered and like, you know, there's so much unknown out there that that's where the anxiety comes from. But that's where I really want to tell people that it's okay to like, not know what you're talking about and we can all right. learn together. Right. Like I think one of the most important things is that not a lot of people even realize that we're made out of stardust. Right. So it doesn't right. make sense that we don't come together as humans and figure out what stardust is. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That. Sometimes I get caught up in thinking about the size of everything and the kind of, you know, the cosmic perspective and all that. And it can be difficult not to get too existential about it because you really start to feel like you're part of a continuum. But that right. continuum is so large that it extends infinitely in all directions. And, and then you look around and people are, you know, buying donuts and coffee. And you try <laughs> and think like, how yeah. is not how is everyone not caught up thinking about this all the time? Right. So, Chris, in our previous conversation, you you mentioned that the pandemic was sort of your opportunity to dive into doing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like that process, even in the early days of the pandemic? What was the change in your mindset? What led you to do this? 
honestly, it was, I wanted a change in lifestyle and I wanted to find something, like I said, that like made me get out of bed with a smile. I wanted to find a purpose for my life. And I truthfully believe that I was put here on this planet to make people laugh and educate people on some things that they might not know about. Right. So the whole process this past year has been one of the most fun years of my life. And, you know, I've learned so much over the past year. It is it's crazy to think about where I came from. Robin, just so you know, a year ago, probably this month, I was looking at Supercluster as one of your biggest fans, right? I was the guy who was writing the fire emojis under all your Instagram uh, posts. We appreciate like, that. Yes, yeah, every single post, I'm always writing the fire emojis. That was me. And it's just so crazy that 12 months of just hard work, you know, grinding day in and day out, not really worrying about what other people are saying and just focusing on like something that I truthfully believe in, put me in this position to be here right now. And I think that my story can really motivate other people around the world to do whatever you want to do in this life. Because the reality is that, you know, I wasn't smart in school. I never really, you know, gave a shit about anything. And that when I was able to put my mind to this and I put my foot on the gas and I didn't turn back and I allowed myself to make mistakes and I allowed myself to take time and get better and understand that this is a five to 10 year journey. Right. That's how I found success. That's amazing. Awesome. I love yeah, that. Yeah. It's like getting to space. It takes yeah. a long time to get I mean, there, but then you wake up and you're there. You're there. Right. Now, Chris, just one random thought. We got to get you down to Cape Canaveral, buddy. A hundred percent. Cause the thing is, is I've only really been like in the space community, like, you know, around with everybody for a year now, and it's been the pandemic. So I'm ready to travel. I'm ready to go to Yuri's night. You know, I'm ready to go oh, to all yeah. these space parties. We got to yeah, get into gotta, one of our supercluster space parties, man. And you got to see. Go to that, yeah. You got to see the night become day. You got to see mm -hmm. a night launch and and that that moment when everything lights up, man. It really it'll change you. We, uh, you know what, Chris? Don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna get you down there somehow. We're gonna we we all have to be down there because, like you said. It's not just you. You know, the past year, Jamie and I, we've been wanting to get back in the field. We've been wanting oh, to get yeah, back to Oh, yeah, we missed the return to American space flight, man. Kills me. You know, I when know, Bob I, and Doug went up. Yeah, Bob and Doug. I was I there, but stuff. it was not an experience that would have been the same if the pandemic wasn't there. And it also sucked because no one else was there. You know what I mean? It was just like a handful of us covering the mission. And when we always imagined SpaceX's first crewed mission, we imagined it like the shuttle days where there was like 500 reporters at Kennedy Space Center, news crews, um, just every, the whole world watching. Yeah, and we were going to have a big rocket launch tailgate party. Yeah, party with, right. you know, speaking, that fits really well in with the, with your podcast, right. like that kind of attitude. <laughs> yeah. But we oh, really yeah. wanted that to, to have that same kind of party atmosphere coming right. up, people grilling, hanging out, make a full day right. out of it. Yeah, barbecue, kegs, everything. You know, we wanted that atmosphere. You know, it's Florida. You have to do it in a Florida fashion. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I got a lot of catching up to do. I got, yeah. I got to go see there. I got to get inside of one of these capsules. I really want to go inside the Crew Dragon. I haven't seen that yet. So I'll tell you this, Chris. Very small amount of people have been able to do that outside of uh, SpaceX. So oh, you didn't, you're, really? you're not, don't have FOMO. Okay, um, okay, not yet. Okay. I, I will tell you this. Just because I'm an advocate for visiting Cape Canaveral, I think you having a person like you at Kennedy Space Center would be amazing. I think having you be there doing your style of reporting and, you know, just being who you are, 
they could yeah. really use something like that, a little bit diversity in the kind of coverage they do there. Well, well, yeah, Robin, that's it. That is exactly why I started doing what I'm doing because you know I wanted to learn space a year ago, and I went online, and you know, of course, besides Supercluster, um, you know, I couldn't find you know digestible space information that I wanted to learn in like a hype way. So in a way. I'm taking this time right now and, you know, it's been a year and then, you know, over the course of this next year and, you know, year three, I'm basically creating a resume to be that next space hype man because I know that space needs it. And I know that space needs somebody who's unfiltered, who loves to have fun, who who understands like what non-space fans feel about space, I think is really important too. Very, very important. So yeah, something that we we complain about a lot is is just the live coverage that surrounds space launches is just not up to par with the stories that are actually it's, happening. It's not for non-space fans. You guys notice that? Like I, yeah. I and respect a lot of these guys are good friends of Jamie and I and, and of Supercluster. We love their streams. They're perfect for Jamie and I. But we do need streams for other audiences. Yeah, the general audience, the kind of color commentary. Like when you, you know, there's a certain hype that happens when you're watching sports, even if you don't know all the rules necessarily, because there's the announcer and the crowd and the stats on screen and all these things that are showing you what the story is. And you can get really pulled into it right away Mm because it's built that way. They got the story going. And I totally agree, Chris, that that's the type of thing that space needs because it's just not out there. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, Chris, I wanted to get into some news topics because uh, we shared one of your videos the other day. It was about Jeff Bezos announcement that he will be <laughs> flying on the very first new Shepard launch uh, happening. I believe July 20th is the current yep. date. As of right now, I'm pulling up our buddy, Michael Sheets's uh, Twitter account. He's been following the bidding process for the last week or so. And the bidding as of right now, uh, it is Thursday, 5.23 p.m., June 10th. We're recording this. Michael Sheets has tweeted that the le- recent, most recent bet is $4.8 million. Oh, my God. It got up to 4.8? Yeah. And this is, Chris, this is happening in real time. And I think two hours ago, I'm sorry, nine hours ago, it was $4 million. Two hours ago, it was $4.2 million. One hour ago, it was four point five. And now it's 4.8 because the bidding is coming to a close. It might be Elon Musk. Oh my God. Not even even getting. (laughs) That's the funny thing. Um, I think that, I mean, it would be a super troll for him to buy the seat and then not just go on it himself, like leave it empty. Or no, he just flies on it with Jeff. Like, okay. So (laughs) I'm going to get both of your takes on this. Here's my quick take. So, I'm excited about this mission. I want to see, you know, Blue Origin accomplish their dreams of human spaceflight and, you know, sort of build out that market. I think it's a great market. I like seeing rich people fly to space because I know that they're testing those spacecraft for us. And I'm grateful to them for doing that. Um, yeah, they're funding I, development. Yeah, totally. they're funding development. They're <laughs> being test dummies. And who better to do that than billionaires and millionaires? Congrats. I love you guys. Keep doing it. But here's my point. This mission, this first mission, they put a seat uh, up for bed, which is great. They're raising money for Blue Origins educational outreach program, which is really, really great. You know, I I thought it was another good opportunity for someone who wouldn't have the opportunity to go to space to go kind of like Inspiration 4 was a contest 
There's a couple other contest type space missions going on out there. But Inspiration4 chose three random, well, not random, but three people who applied for the opportunity, chose them to go. They're going for free. They're not paying anything. It's going to do nothing but benefit them. And that is the dream. That is great. Now, with Blue Origin's flight, which is apples and oranges, uh, Dragon is going to orbit. It's going to cruise for like three to five days. It's a, it's a space mission on the level of, you know, the Mercury Apollo testing era. Like it's going around or Earth's orbit. It's going as far as anyone has been since the Hubble repair missions, which is pretty crazy. Blue Origin's mission is going to the edge of space, right? Great. Different thing. Not going to talk shit, but that's a different thing. And the bidding process for this mission and this seat makes it so only a one percenter can win it. Right? Am I wrong to say that? You know, it's like, who's going to, is a normal person going to win this seat? Or is it going to be a multimillionaire? And likely it's going to be a multimillionaire. So that's my first concern. Great. Whatever. It's still benefiting a really great cause. Two, Jeff Bezos has added himself to the mission and will officially fly on the first New Shepard flight, which is and a big deal. And his brother, too, by the and way. And his brother, yes, yeah. which is, I like that. That's cool. You know, it's a, it says something to fly on the first crewed mission of your own spacecraft. It's, that says something, and, uh, and I respect that. But in my opinion, this changes the nature of the mission and not the actual mission, like to fly Jeff, to a human to edge of space and back. I mean, for the bidding process. Now, are people bidding for a flight to space to have an awesome time for a few minutes? Or are they bidding to spend two days with Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man? Oh, that's a great point, Rob. And that's a great like point. What? Because Warren Beatty used to auction off elevator time. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, pitch lunches. Billionaires do that sometimes to raise money or just to make money. And like Jeff Bezos adding himself to this, it, it increased the pool of people who will bid. But that pool is people who do not care about what this is, in my opinion. That's a great point, because think about the Inspiration4 mission right now and how hard they're training. Like those four they people are training have not, hard. Yeah, yes. they have not left each other's side for no. like six months. No, right? they're, so, they're serious. Yeah. And we, we share a photographer with Inspiration4, John Krause. And John has been traveling like crazy, shooting them and, and taking photos and documenting what they're doing. And it seems nonstop until they fly. So it's it's two different things, and I'm not trying to compare the two, but I'm asking you guys, the person that bids will be bidding for that experience, or they'll be bidding for some opportunity with Jeff Bezos? Depends how much cheese you got, right? If you got enough right. cheese, I mean, you could be throwing that in there to go on vacation with Jeff for six months. That's a great point. <laughs> right. So, Well, here's the thing I got to say is, to me, it feels like it feels like maybe they're not going to train much. Because I think that this it's a few flight, weeks. It's a few weeks time in of training for this flight for Blue Origins. Yeah. Oh wow! I it's guess July I'm July twentieth, and they haven't. The bidding isn't over yet, and the flight well, July twentieth. Yeah. Oh, oh. So you're you're agreeing with me? Yeah. I guess that's no. That's what I'm saying is that I don't think there's going to be this kind of like intensive training thing at all. And I think it's it might be the point is that they're showing this is just a flight you buy a ticket on and go on. Right. This isn't like this is a, a whole huge crazy project you go into. This right. is the average person because Jeff Bezos and his brother are absolutely not the people you would pick to test any aircraft ever, which means that the uh, to me, it kind of just says, well, this is just a ride. It's got to be because 
It's supposed to be amusement. I mean, you can call it an amusement ride because that's literally what they're marketing it as. What's tourism? It's amusement. And this is an amusement ride. Say, you know, I feel like the word amusement and tourism are interchangeable. Well, in the same way, you know. Yeah, you don't train uh, to ride on a roller coaster, you know. Right. But right. but Chris, what do you, how do you feel about it? I, I feel very similar. I, my thing is this: one question I have is so. I mean, Jeff does not want to go far in our solar system, right? Like Jeff wants to build. He wants that, to build like, right here. Orbit. Yeah, he wants to build right here. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. would that answer the question of why he's not focusing on like a spacecraft that can actually go someplace? Like, I mean, that's my yeah, thing. yeah, sure, that could be a good justification. It's like, almost like Jeff Bezos just wants to fly in space. He doesn't want to be an astronaut. He just, want he just wants to be there. able to go up there and hang out. Yeah. Is is there a reason why they made the new Shepard flight only eleven minutes? Like, could they not make it like twenty, thirty minutes? Like, why? No, is it- because that would add more fuel, more propulsion elements, more risk. Oh, like okay. it, the the price would probably triple. If you added like two minutes to the flight, because I think you get like three minutes of weightlessness. And yeah, it's like- a couple minutes of weightlessness, something like six. I could be wrong here. Six or something minutes of black sky. Like, yeah, you know, but- I, I look. I don't want to voice my opinion about space tourism here, but I'll <laughs> say that for me, if I had, you know, and it's I, I'm not a millionaire. I don't know how much money 5 million is compared to someone who has a hundred million. But like, if I had a hundred million dollars, would I spend five of it to go to do that? Probably not. Well, I'll tell you this. I've been hearing that five of it might get me a much better space mission. You know what I'm saying? That's, like I that's, that's a, almost yeah. the price of a seat for a dragon crew mission. So Chris, in your, in your, po- your most recent post on Instagram, uh, your most recent video, which I found funny. <laughs> I did too. You mentioned that Jeff is going up, and then right after you mentioned that Elon Musk has been trolling, or some would say bullying him a little bit about not being able to reach orbit or not yep. having flown humans yet, or whatever it is that Elon Musk is talking shit these days. But do you think that rivalry had any impact on Jeff wanting to fly? I think that at the end of the day, look, like th- these guys know what they're doing, right? Jeff knows what he's doing. I think that at the end of the day, he's been a space fan since he was like two years old, three years old, whatever right, the story right. is. And he has the opportunity to go to space. You know, at, at the end of the day, he's going because he has the opportunity to. And he's trying to put his money where his mouth is, right? Like he has, right. you know, this billion dollar company is trying to get space tourism popping. And, you know, he has the opportunity to tell people like, look, you know, I'm the, the world's most valuable asset, right? Like I, my body is worth billions of dollars and right. I'm still willing to risk it on the first flight. And I think that has something to say, but, you know, having said all that, you know, I think we're crazy if we're not thinking that this guy, you know, he's been bullied for the last 10, 15 years. You know, he, he's definitely ready to, you know, start, uh, you know, showing up Elon a little bit. Yeah. And I think it, it, this will Show up Elon a little bit. Oh, and, getting to space first? He's mm-hmm. going to wear that well, on his forehead, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the argument, what's going to come after that? It, we're going to have that debate about wh- where is space again. How? Um, what's the altitude that Blue oh, Origin's going to reach? <laughs> I don't Barely. even want to get it. I'm going to let Chris define it. It's, it's there. It's there. It's space. Yeah. Right, it's space. space. It's the, here, there's a reason we're saying edge of space, Jamie. Well, is it, does it cross the because I know in our astronaut database, we make a distinction between the U.S. line and the Carmen line, and we still let people in if they've only crossed the U.S. line. But are we even getting there with this flight? 
We might have made a new line, to be honest. It's a new line, line Jamie. We, we yeah, might have made a new line. line. There was a paper, pu- paper published. We'll, <laughs> we'll spend a whole other episode talking about it. We're going to have a special guest on. I know the guy who helped write the paper. I'm not going to call him out yet, but I'm going to talk to him, and we're going to have him on the show and talk about that line, Jamie, because Jamie and I, you know, we run the astronaut d- database. Jamie is the one who developed it, and we face this question every other day. What, and we get comments from people on Twitter, especially in the last week. We've gotten so many. People are, are wondering, who is a space traveler? What is an astronaut? What is the line? And we do have to have a conversation about that. We can't have it in a news episode. It has to be its own conversation. And sure. we'll, we will have it because it's something we're still thinking about. And, you know, the astronaut database has blown up. It's very popular. And people are looking to, to it as sort of a standard. So Jamie and I have a lot of thinking to do. And while we have Chris here, Chris, you use the astronaut database. Every single week. Every single week of my life. So what's your opinion on this? Because you use the astronaut database. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like, what is your, because you know, there's a couple of tourists going up. There's a couple of private astronauts going up. You know, and obviously some of these folks are going to what we've been calling the edge of space where they're kind of this gray area of being in space, not being in space. But, you know, it, you're a person who uses the astronaut database. You're a space fan. What would you like to see us do? About Here's where that? it gets sticky, Robin. Here's where it gets sticky, okay? There's been less than like 700 people that have ever been to space, period, right? So right, right now it's easy to be like, okay, you know, we got somebody with Virgin going up that's been there for six minutes. Let's put it in the database, right? Like, because right. that's awesome. You know, they achieved, you know, space flight in space, right? That, that counts. But we're going to get to a point where there's going to be thousands of people going up each day. And at mm-hmm. some point, I feel like we might need to change you know, what, what is going to space? You're right, because you can't, oh, yeah. have, a, you can't have a database with the, with the whole population. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, the you point write is down, to destroy the astronaut database. That's the whole point of this. That exactly. would actually be amazing is to retire it, print yeah. a book and say that was that. You know, that, that would be, oh it would God, be a, a great, great problem to have, you know, if we got to that point. But you, you're absolutely right, Chris. Like we write down, OK, there's the Wright brothers and there's Lindbergh and there's, oh, wait, we stopped writing down people who fly in planes because everyone flies in planes, you know. And it just kind of happens eventually. But we're at the early stages, I guess. You see, we'll have to decide when it ends. And that'll be a dark moment or a confusing moment. But for me, the a- idea of an astronaut will end when it's just normal for anyone to go to space. You know what's going to happen? It's going to become the Astronaut Hall of Fame instead right, of the right. Astronaut Database. Because like then it'll be. Errors, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because it's like, even though, for instance, even though flight had uh, existed for a long time we remember chuck yeager because he broke the sound barrier so at some point when we have too many astronauts to list them all it'll become only listing the best yeah and and also think about this right think about a space mission so i have this series on my profile where i pop bottles for nasa astronauts right and i do that to celebrate the work that they do up there and the advancements that they do in science and technology and you know they put their lives on the line so i think that nasa astronauts and you know other astronauts around the world they earned that privilege to be in that database but when you got guys like me going up there to you know have a good time <laughs> yeah. you know we're cracking some beers in the spaceship i mean do i deserve to be in the database in the future well one thing i mean you make a, you make a great point a great um, i point. love that by the way i've listened yeah. to your episodes about popping bottles for astronauts so please keep that up it's a good tradition oh, yeah. that i hope spreads to me it, it makes me think maybe we we would have different categories like maybe there's going to be 
in the database a designation for space partiers and then another one for space scientists and another one for space test pilots, you know, to really kind of start to do that. You know, I wonder if it'll be destination based because look, right now, anyone that goes to orbit, astronaut database, but when everyone is going to orbit, you know, I don't see them being added, but when the first crews go to Mars or Europa or Enceladus, mm-hmm. you know, that might be worthy of still adding to the astronaut database. Being yeah. an astronaut will become defined by pushing the the barrier of where humans are. You know, like where, yeah. where's the well, furthest again, like, It'll be like records, you know, that same kind of Hall of Fame thing right. is, you know, it's if you go to orbit, not enough, but if you do something really nuts in orbit and it's the first love, thing I or the best the thing of, you know? uh, yeah of it becoming just astronaut hall of fame and maybe that's what it will become one day i'll i'll, I'll put that way on the we horizon need to write that for, our, no, let's write that for our roadmap yeah. yeah let's let's hope that this let's hope that this becomes a problem right let's hope yeah, it becomes yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. oh that's, yeah that's yeah, the problem like we need the other day we were talking about well man we're gonna have to create art for all the the new spaceships the new and, like, space well, stations and, and stuff. it's like that's great that's awesome that <laughs> yeah. we have that problem it's a horrible for us but it's great like in general <laughs> you gotta um, think about me think about how many bottles i have to pop this year we're gonna be getting bottles at costco from now on because that's what i'm saying picking up yeah, the 12 pack we lost communication there for a moment because we were right we were just about to get into ufos Yes, UFO flew over and the magnetic Just field completely shut us off. It reacted with the swamp gas and the glint off of Venus. Chris said, Chris said, if he was Bob Lazar, we would have been fucked already. Yeah, I go, uh, I go, what if I was Bob Lazar sitting in this waiting room <laughs> like this? Come on, guys. So if you don't know who Bob Lazar is, he is a man who worked at, uh, he's a scientist and an engineer who worked at Los Alamos and a couple of uh, the nation's top labs in the early 80s, and then went to work at Area 51 and told his story over the last 20 years, which has been more validated recently with a lot of the leaks coming out. And um, his story has been consistent. There's been quite a few documentaries out. And if you listen to Joe Rogan, you know who Bob Lazar is. Um, So yeah, that's Contact for Bob Lazar. We are going to get into UFOs in just a second, but there was one thought we had to wrap up on human spaceflight. Jeff Bezos is going to be flying on that first New Shepard launch. But also, as soon as they announced that, they announced that Richard Branson will also be flying to space on a Virgin Galactic spaceship that could occur before Bezos's flight, potentially. Well, we don't know. Whoa. Like, yeah. that would, there's not much time for that to happen. There's not much time for that to happen at all. Yeah. Well, one thing, one thing I do want to bring up, and I don't say this, you know, just to be dark and controversial, but I think we got to, we're all thinking it, is what if Jeff Bezos explodes? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, that's all. I mean, that's a possibility with every space flight at this point. Yeah. And I think. You know, we've lost many people in this progress that we've made mm-hmm. um, in pushing that human footprint out to outer space. Uh, the Challenger crew, the Columbia crew, the Apollo 1 crew at Kennedy Space Center. That Virgin Galactic pilot. Remember? Virgin Galactic pilot, exactly. So there's always the possibility that people will die. When you board a train, when you board an airplane, there's always a possibility, whether it's tiny or a lot or submarine ship, you know, that... When you normalize something, part of that normalization is oh, normalization. 
part of that normalizing is accepting death as a part of the business. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but how our reaction to the first commercial death in terms of a passenger or paying passenger, private astronaut, society's reaction to that will really determine whether we are actually in the commercial era or not. Because Boeing has lost two full airplanes in the last couple of years. Planes crash, people die, trains derail. Well, yeah, automobiles, tens of thousands of people yeah, die if you automobile know, car crashes accidents. just in the U.S. Right. So what's normalizing? What's the threshold of risk that we're willing to accept at this point? Do I think Bezos or Branson are in danger? Of course not. I think there's been a lot of testing. There's a lot of confidence in the hardware and the technology. But the chance that anyone will mm-hmm. die doing something as dangerous as spaceflight is always there. And it's something that people should never forget. Yeah, I think it's likely this will be the riskiest thing he has ever done in his life. 100%. The same goes for both Branson and Bezos. I do think that a successful flight by either of them will really kind of solidify their missions and visions for opening up space for business, at least, and and creating value and Mm -hmm. creating a platform to do business, sending two of the you know, most successful, wealthiest people on earth, there is a good start, I think. And uh, it'll be a positive, a net positive, if both flights are are successful. Yeah, and it's messed up to say, but, you know, we'd be wrong if we were denying it. There will be people who are, you know, flying in commercial space that will end up getting into accidents. You know, like you said, accidents happen. But the important thing to remember is just that I have these conversations going on in my comments all the time when I'm talking about either you know, rich people going to space or, or just the, the new Shepard capsule, the escape system that they have is really awesome. And I think that, you know, the technology that we're using now to get to orbit is a lot different than the shuttle days. And yeah. I don't know, I like the new escape system a lot. And I'm not saying that, you know, something wrong can't happen after the launch. Of course, you know, that's where things, you know, tend to do go wrong. But, you know, ultimately, we really do need to trust this, uh, this new technology we're investing in. Yes, definitely. And that trust is a part of development in any technology. I want to quickly say to wrap this topic up because we're running out of time on the show today. Um, and don't worry, this is only the first time Chris will be with us. We hey, do hear that, back. guys. Yeah, yeah. Elon Musk will likely go to the space station. That's all I'm going to say. Not going to elaborate. I think if, if he's looking to go to space, it's going to be after Branson, after Bezos, and it will be to the space station for a couple of days and back. That's me taking what I've heard and what I know about Elon, what I know about SpaceX, combining it into a theory. I'll leave it at that on this topic. Quickly, do you guys agree with that? Yes or no? Well, well, it will it be our space station or will it be Axiom or will it be you know, a different one? What do you think? That is a great point. And it could easily very well be the Axiom station in a couple of years. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, our space station right now is old. It's ugly. You know, there's not a lot of room it's in there. I don't see why. <laughs> sexy. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. It ain't sexy. Yeah. I don't I get, see I Elon like going to the old space station that's been there for like 20. You know what I mean? Like I see it kind of maybe. I, 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 I'm forced to agree with you. I think he might look want to look forward on that and maybe fly. With, uh, you know, Axiom is a partner of him and SpaceX, so I do see them arranging something like that, which would be really, really awesome. Hey, and real speaking, quick question: go ahead. Quick question: What's stopping SpaceX right now from doing what Axiom is doing with the space station? Are they just too busy? Yes, I mean, there. Here's the thing: many people will argue that we didn't continue 
our human spaceflight ambitions past the moon because we decided to build a space station. Do SpaceX fans want to see SpaceX do that? Yeah, I I mean, I think Elon is super focused on Mars Mars, and he doesn't see a space station as a step towards it. I think if he saw that as a stepping stone, he'd already be building it. But I think the thing he's putting in Earth orbit to get to Mars is Starlink. I think he thinks that providing Internet to the world by launching things into LEO is how he's going to pay for his Mars missions. Yeah, guys, I think that's so funny. Yeah. And I think that his his partnership with Axiom solves that issue for them. Like they have that. They can make money off a space station that they didn't have to build. You know what I mean? I keep, they can fly people there. They can do business there. And that'll be it's it. so funny. I keep thinking about this all the time. It, like our future in space is depending on a couple guys with a couple hobbies who prefer Mars. You know, Bezos uh-huh. prefers, you know, low Earth orbit. And it's just so funny. Like, what if these guys were like archery fans, right? Like, what if like what if, what if, what if Jeff Bezos and Elon, like for, for some reason, did not like space? Like, where would where would the archery world be right now? You know what I mean? I know, right? Yeah, it's it's a funny thing to think about is like, what's the alternate hobby or what things have had other billionaires money poured into them and we just didn't hear about it because it's not like a public thing. Maybe there is a super underground advanced archery setup that we don't know about because of that one billionaire. But you're right. It's very strange to think about the tides of the future being so thoroughly guided by the whims of a couple of rich dudes in the U.S. I want to move on to UFOs because this is keeping me up at night a little bit. Oh, yeah. Just can't sleep. This story has been rolling out for the last couple of years. Thanks to what was he the lead singer? Yeah. What was he? Tom DeLonge. Tom DeLonge. Yeah. Was he a singer? Was he a guitarist? Was he both? See, for me, Blink-182 just blurs into one human. He's a singer. (laughs) He's a singer. Okay. Yeah. I love Blink-182 back then. I did. I cut high school once and I went to TRL. Total oh Quest God. Life, for those TRL. who know uh, MTV. And uh, Blink-182 was there, and it was awesome. Shout out to Blink-182. Shout oh, out five, to Tom oh, six. When was that? Oh, man. I don't... I TRL, bro. I'm not gonna, Damn. Dude, I just <laughs> ain't-dated myself pretty badly there. But Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm pretty old. So I was going to say that thank you, Tom DeLonge, for fighting this fight and spending all your money on this and apparently losing quite a bit of money on it. But the train he started that, like, mission to get you and i'm not gonna give all the credit to tom belong there's been plenty of people out there lobbying the government for ufo disclosure for many years i want to shout out stephen bassett who is known as the ufo lobbyist most people have probably seen him somewhere or heard him on a ufo you know discussing the ufo topic he actually doesn't use the word ufo he thinks there's a stigma associated with that and i agree with him Stephen Bassett is a a lifelong proponent for disclosure from the U.S. government. Um, We will have him on the show at some point. Him and I have known each other for a long time. But he did a separate track from Tom DeLonge's To the Stars Academy. But they all worked on the same thing. They lobbied the same people. Quick note about Stephen Bassett. He was an actor in Hollywood who had lines and was a character in the first Predator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, if, is there a connection between him getting brutally murdered by the Predator and him spending his life researching UFOs and lobbying the government to disclose UFOs, which is kind of the plot of Predator 2? If there's well, a connection there, I don't know of it. Oh, definitely it is. There's no, there's I don't no, think that there's any question. There's got to be. I'm not going to. Those gonna, two things are linked. We will ask him when we have him on the show. Let's put it that way. But anyway, 
Getting back to this UFO topic, we're a couple of weeks away from the Pentagon officially releasing these files that ha- are basically eyewitness accounts, data collected, visuals collected by uh, servicemen in the military who have been flying missions and seeing these strange, unidentifiable objects. I think the official term now is unidentified aerial phenomenon you uh, instead of UFO because UFO is just it's just in the dirt. You can't use that anymore. <laughs> Also, they don't even know if it's it's also a, a broader designator, just to be clear that it, if you say it's a UFO, you're I- intimating that it's an object and they don't right. even know if these are objects it could right. be a light effect. What, you know? right. yeah. we, we don't know a lot of things. And anyway, the New York Times published a piece the other day. A lot of people were angry because they the headline didn't match the story. Mm-hmm. The headline of the New York Times article was uh, files show that these are not aliens. But then when you read the article, it's like there's no conclusion at all. You know what I mean? So the New York Times actually had to change their headline. They did. Yeah, yep. which is crazy. They went crazy. back and edited it. That's They edited nuts. a headline. And then the next couple di- couple days later, they accidentally published an article that said there was watermelons on Mars and deleted it. <laughs> oh, well, that, yeah, that was yeah. probably just an honest yeah. mistake. Yeah, but we but had to call them out thing- for it. Yeah, I mean, it was hilarious and, and wonderful, and I think that it <laughs> should that. be memed until all eternity. But the report so far had said that there's no proof that it is aliens, which right. is different than saying that it's not. And right, I think right. that that distinction is worth No, there's uh, no, is there's worth no proof that it's like cheese. You know what I mean? Right, like, exactly. I, yeah. So, so why, yeah, the, why didn't the headline say that? Right, right, but right. yeah, the, the point being is we don't we don't know that they are aliens, but we have absolutely no proof of what they are at all. So the aliens part of the conversation was a, a purely editor, editorial choice. So I agree right. with that complaint. All right, Chris, what's your take on all this, buddy? It's a lot, man. It's a lot. How much time you guys got? Just you guys go got two or three hours? Just go for it. Give us the quick burn. We're, we're on. I've been saying this for 10, 15 years. And it's, it just feels so good that I'm not like the crazy kid anymore. Just like, you know, like screaming that there's UFOs, but you know, the reality is, and although it might, it might make people uncomfortable, you know, we're on, you know, the bridge or, you know, we're on the verge of formal disclosure. And what what that means is basically what's happening right now is real. Right. And, And the government is admitting that there are unidentified, there's an unidentified aerial phenomenon in our airspace, mocking our Navy warships, and it's mm-hmm. a problem, right? It's a right. big problem. I think that it's really important to, you know, remain remain curious. And I, I love to, you know, shout out Jeremy Corbell here, you know, one of the yeah, guys I same. looked up to in yeah. this space. Um, Jeremy's you know, released lo- a couple of those videos, right, Chris? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's released yeah. a ton. And guess what? He's yeah. not even, he's just getting started. And, and right. that's the thing, right? So mm-hmm. for me, you know, I like to piggyback off of what he says, right? Weaponize your curiosity, right? Like, why, like, what is going on up there? And why do we not have this information? So just everything that I've seen, right? So let's put together all the videos that have come out, you know, relatively recently, right? You got the gimbal, the go fast, you got the, the pyramid shaped UFOs. You have that new video that Jeremy dropped where it was a night. Goes into camera. the ocean, right? Yep. The all, USO. All the tic-tacs. The tic-tacs. Love exactly. the tic-tacs. And, and, and I think it's really important that people understand that these are documented encounters with whether it's radar, FLIR cameras, trained mm-hmm. Navy pilots that billion job, dollar military equipment. They, they are their job is to protect us and know what they're seeing in the sky. And mm-hmm. I be, and I truthfully believe a lot of these stories in the sense that like I understand that you need cold hard evidence, right? Like uh, you know w- w- we're supposed to really you know find a spaceship, test it. 
you'll have that evidence and then we'll be like, okay, there's aliens, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's aliens, but I am saying that we have an unidentified aerial phenomenon problem and it is crazy that everybody is not coming together right now to figure out what this is. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest to me the the and I think you've 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 articulated it well, the most profound aspect of all of this is that the United States military, the greatest and most powerful, most expensive military in the history of humanity is openly admitting that they don't know what the heck that is. And that is an, an admission of weakness that you will not find that military making in any category on any day of any week. And that to me is a stark just that lays bare the fact that this something extraordinary is going on. Yeah. And I think it has been going on for the history of Earth. I think when yeah, you go yeah. back, like these things have been here. I think that we just missed it the entire time, which oh, is yeah. crazy. I mean, honestly, from a mathematical perspective, I think you you have to be correct in the statement you just made. Because think about the tiny blink of time that we've existed. What kind of ridiculous coincidence would it be that aliens also showed up exactly when we invented cameras? Like that's not true. Mm -hmm. If they've been if they're here or who, whatever phenomenon it is, is here, it's been here for a long time. And we, as you said, we've just woken up to the ability to notice it. So I wanted to talk about a real quick part of the story that you guys aren't hearing about, and a lot of people are not hearing about, but something I've been looking into recently is that China is going through the same thing that we are mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. They yep. have their own, their pilots and their uh, service members are encountering vehicles very similar to what we're encountering. They have created their own program to track UAPs, and they're just as confused as we are. And the reporting is kind of the same on that side of the world. The American defense magazines and stuff are covering it. And I, I do recommend that people look into it from other countries' perspectives, because this is not an American problem. The UAP problem is seems to be on the front burner problem. of every military's you know, to-do list. And for some reason... All this stuff has happened in the last couple of years in terms of like creating public programs and, you know, going to the press and publishing in the New York Times and WAPO. And it's just very fascinating to me that the Chinese are also going through the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I mean, another entity that isn't really fond of showing its own weakness. So right. it's further proved that something really crazy is yeah, going and on. That's another thing. That's a great point, Jamie. China never, ever goes public with issues like this and for them yeah. to come out publicly for the army and their military and their government organizations to put out public statements talking about UAPs as a problem. That is a, that tells me something, you know, it just adds more uncertainty. Yeah. And think about this, right? So when you go through like the, the multiple choice quiz of what the UAPs are like, right? Like what is a UFO? You go through the multiple choice quiz. You, you, you can now, cancel out us, right? So that New York right. Times article that just was leaked, they basically said this is not from the United States, right? So that's right. really important. That's the first that's really time important. we've yeah. actually heard that from the yeah. government, right? So that's great. Cancel out the United States. Then you're, you're, you, the next bullet points that go down, you got you know a foreign adversary where- Russia and the, China. Just say oh, it, that, Russia and, and China. That's the, you know? Exactly. That's the yeah. only other thing that people think that this might be. And, and to, I hate to say it, but a lot of skeptics are hoping that it's Russia and China, but yeah. unfortunately, I got some bad news for you guys. It's not. Right. <laughs> okay. See, because it doesn't vibe with the technological development and the no. other issues that they're no. having. 
No. China yes. lost the Long March 5. How many times? China in the last couldn't months? even control the rocket into re-entry. Right. And you're telling me that they have technology they gravity? that is a thousand years ahead of us? It just <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense. And mind you, all of their space program, or nearly all of it, is based on designs, proven designs from other countries' space programs. So they don't they haven't even really advanced beyond, you know, some manufacturing innovations. So we're gonna say that, like you just said, that's the country that suddenly <laughs> right, right, right. has left progress. What? Yeah. And so the only other, to me, there's only other, I suppose, three possibilities beyond it being some government with a secret technology, which we've kind of pointed out. Uh, it doesn't really seem like that fits any of the realities here. First possibility would be aliens, which we've talked about. The next possibility is sort of alien-esque, but the idea that we can't understand it because it's a higher dimensional being, you know, right. in the sense that a two dimensional being wouldn't really understand our three dimensional world. Well, maybe it's a four dimensional being and we're just not going to be able to ever understand what it's doing. Right. But the, and then the last and most boring one is it some undiscovered bizarre glitch in our technology that we've never detected until now. So it kind of, I don't know. I, I just, when I follow the logic, I've got, very few answers that Time are travelers from the future yeah and uh, uh, guys I, I, in reality is i think it's okay to say that i don't think that we're prepared or even capable to understand what this technology is whoever yeah. has this technology well first off if we want if we want to joke about it can we agree that whoever has this technology is living a better life than we are okay i mean like right, i'm out right, here right, you know right. i'm taking the I train to I the bar make yeah, a like, quick right yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly but okay now having said that i think that whoever has this technology you don't need to build rockets you don't right. need to build a crew dragon you don't need <laughs> right, to have right. a, a raffle for blue origin for 2 million 3 million dollars you don't need that Whoever has this technology is a thousand years ahead of us to that next level. And that's the most important thing here. Right. Somebody on this planet has it. Who is it? Right. Right. Yeah. Who has technology that is far ahead of our rockets? I mean, if you if these turn out to be vehicles, right? If that object, that tic tac or whatever that's submersible, submersible was a vehicle. That means this vehicle does not need the kind of propulsion that we're killing ourselves making at Cape Canaveral exactly. and everywhere else. You know yeah. what I mean? It it's would like, have to have a type of energy that we right. don't even It has to be like to sustainable. And well, to, to me, it, it makes me think of things like if you took an iPhone and you just gave it to someone from a time before we had even discovered electricity, right. they don't even have the, the basic framework to even understand right. anything about what they're looking at. It would just no. be an inanimate object to them. And right. all of the, the most brilliant scientists of like Galileo's time, given an iPhone, would have no idea. It would how just to, be a, a brick with colors. It wouldn't even have, I'm saying an iPhone that's turned off. Like oh, they wouldn't yeah, have yeah. any thought of yeah, what yeah, they're, they, yeah. they wouldn't even give it a thought. It's yeah. like, they wouldn't even know they were looking at technology. Yeah, and that's, that to me is the type of context we're probably in. Like, we don't even, we can't be like, well, it's accelerating in this many G's. It would need, no, our science can't begin to describe it most likely. Yeah. Chris, what's your plan for the, for the release? Are you going to? Okay, so I'm having a party. Or? I'm having a, yeah, I'm having you guys over. I got, you know, 30 <laughs> back in the crib. Should I bring but, some tequila? Like, what? <laughs> For real, I was going to say this. One question I have for you guys. Do you think that these or the UAP phenomenon is tied into consciousness somehow, right? Because there's two things that we don't understand a lot about, right? It's what happens when you die 
We don't really understand consciousness a whole lot. And we also don't understand these UIPs, right? So do you think that there's a chance that our consciousness and our existence is directly tied in to these UFOs? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the type of question that's almost so big that you can only it's like philosophical questions almost. But the thing that does come to mind is every once in a while, there's a phenomena that happens and we study it and study it. And we're trying to figure out what is causing it. And it turns out to be the answer is, say, the beginning of the universe is causing it or mm-hmm. cosmic rays from the sun are causing it. Like if you remember, there was this huge microwave listening station and they kept thinking they were getting interference over and over. They couldn't correct their equipment. It turned out to be the interference was the Big Bang. Right. That, you know what I mean? That like they had mm-hmm. discovered something that was the cosmic scale. Well, and so that's what your question makes me think, Chris, is like, well, maybe like maybe there's something here where a base truth about all of the universe is being revealed, but because we have no understanding of it, we're just like, look at the pretty light in the sky, you know? Chris, I'll give you this. If it's aliens or time travelers, the answer is yes. Because the discovery of a race that's not from Earth, an intelligent species that's not human, would change everything about what we know about our role in the universe, our role in the solar system. But we'll know definitively that we're part of a larger community. That's a transformative thought, in my opinion. Time travel, it'll just be awesome to know we have time travel. Uh-huh. But <laughs> aliens yeah. would be, that That would change, like, talk about the overview effect. When you go to space oh and God, you look yeah. at Earth and you're like, damn, we're all on this tiny ass marble. There's no real difference between any of us. Borders are bullshit. That's the overview effect. Will that, will knowing definitively that we're part of a, a galactic community finally rid us of the burdens of race and like our, our silly differences? Uh, I hope so. I love will that. it finally make that. our borders uh, less real? Man, I hope I, so. I you really. Know? share your hope but i have to say that i think absolutely not i think what would happen it'll be is, more like the klingons and we'll just all go to war absolutely <laughs> i think it would be uniting only in the sense that we would all just instead of being Hate racist to each race. other we'd be racist yeah. to the aliens yeah, you know yeah. and then we'd get 100. right back to fighting over <laughs> who gets to be the president of the anti-alien brigade and i think our humanity is sort of uh intrinsic but it would give everybody a piece of the overview effect all at once i need that so bad i I can't wait to go to space and feel the overview so so that's gonna be my last man that's gonna be my last question for you on this episode chris because i want to have you back on after the files are dropped oh yeah because we could have an expert but it'd be funner to have you and me and jamie talk shit about the release rather than go through the data Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'll bring I'll bring a little bit of science in uh, that we can pull apart. Yeah, obviously, I'm planning to actually print out the the whole thing and and really go through it. And maybe some supercluster designers will be uh, looking at it as well. Maybe we can sketch up a, a couple of things from that report as time passes on. Chris, I do want to close this episode by asking you what you just brought up. Do you want to go to space? I know the answer. Yes. Uh, where, where do you want to go? Damn, man. I get, don't, don't give me two answers. I want one. Where okay, do you want to go? Would, you have one opportunity <laughs> to go to space. Where are you going? 
All right, hey, for uh, for all my followers and all my uh, my fans out there listening right now, we're going to Europa. We're getting Hell those yeah. Europa beers going. Damn, this guy's right. adventurous. Okay, yeah, Europa's yeah, I'm, I'm, where I'm, we want to be. We're going to Europa. We're setting up some ice fishing. We're going to catch some aliens, and it's okay, going to be a great time. Okay, I knew time. ice fishing was involved because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a massive ocean on Europa. People yeah. forget oh, that thing is yeah. like 30 miles deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to eat a delicious moonfish. I would eat a shrimp. <laughs> From Europa, that would be amazing. As long and, as it's not the only one, don't wipe out a whole animal. Yeah, yeah, no, I won't eat the only shrimp, shrimp that. The one, it's the one last shrimp on <laughs> oh, Europa. Oh, it's like poplars from Futurama. Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. Futurama, Futurama. Out there. I was gonna say it's Europa, but at the end of the day, like I also like want to be like a space traveler. I truthfully believe okay, that if we can un- if we can unlock whatever technology that is living it's crazy to say this but if we can unlock whatever technology is sharing our planet with us i think the vast distance of space and time immediately changes and i think that these stars that we you know are aware of that you know 400 million light years away i think once you put that technology in the mix damn it might be going like down to florida okay Uh, yeah yeah, then it just becomes that. endless exploration. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. I just dream of the insane wildlife we would see by going oh, to these places. It would just, it would be endless. It'd be absolutely fantastic. So, Chris, I guess I know the answer to this question. Uh, you'd fly on Starship. Yeah, flying Starship. I'd, I'd, I'd fly anywhere, man. I, I just, I want to get my, uh, I want to get to space. I want to, um, you know, I want to see the planet. I want to see the solar system. You know, life on Earth is great. I tell everybody, you know, we're really lucky to, you know, have been born on earth, you know, enjoy our lives here. You know, we get sunsets, you know, we get nice friends here, but reality is there's a lot of great options out there. And I think that there's better places to be in the universe than earth. So that's what I'm doing. I'm spreading the message. You know, I'm trying to get people interested in space. I'm trying to make people laugh while I'm doing it. And hopefully all this hard work will one day get me a ticket up there. I think it will because you're doing great work. And that is a great note to end this episode. So thank you to our listeners and our followers and to folks who are listening because you got connected from Chris's channel. I hope that we'll have Chris again on soon. And um, thank you to Jamie for being on this episode. Uh, Jamie, I'll throw it to you. Yeah. So thanks again to Chris Esposito for joining us. And thank you, Robin. Everybody, make sure you check out Space with Spo on all the appropriate channels uh, for your podcasts and Instagrams and all the social medias. And uh, anything else that I should shout out, by the way, Chris? No, that sounds good. Follow me on uh, all social media, Space with Spo. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's get this party going. All right, great. So everybody out there, please keep your eyes on the sky for those UFOs flying by. And remember, space is for everyone. And if you get a photo, send it to us. (laughs) (laughs) Please. 